You're listening to Manufactured with Kim von der Weert, and this is a podcast about sustainability and the making of fashion. Join me every week in conversation with the people who manufacture what we wear. This is part two of the conversation between Suzanne Vettiard of Boma Jewelry, Amrin Sachatep of Atlantic Mills, Jay Schroff of Fashion Panda, and Kate Carrick of Sustainable Outfits. In case you missed part one, I want to briefly introduce each of our guests. Fashion Panda, where Jay works, is an India-based manufacturer of timeless loungewear and women's wear. Atlantic Mills, where Amran works, is a vertically integrated denim manufacturer primarily based in Thailand. And Boma Jewelry, where Suzanne works, is a brand and manufacturer in one. They have a factory in Thailand and they produce as I said, for their own brand, as well as for larger retailers. And last but not least, Kate is the educator and activist behind Sustainable Outfits. Sustainable Outfits is a blog, Instagram account, and beyond, and I've been a fan of the critical and thoughtful content she puts out for a while now. In part one, we talked about a big question. As an educator and activist, it can be hard to filter the real from the noise. What kind of information would Suzanne, Jay, and Amran like to see Kate looking at when educating the public about the fashion industry? In this episode, we get into two equally big questions. First, overproduction. Kate gets a lot of comments and questions about overproduction. On the one hand, suppliers benefit from more orders, but on the other hand, they too are people who want to pass on an inhabitable planet to the next generation. How would Suzanne, Amrin, and Jay like Kate to engage in conversations about overproduction? Second, we talk about the common practice of calling out brands. What do Jay, Amrin, and Suzanne think about activists and educators calling out brands? Is it helpful? How does it impact their business? And what does Kate think of their suggestions? This podcast is a passion project and a labor of love. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast or sign up for the bi-weekly newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can make a Patreon donation at www.manufacturedpodcast.com. Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that. At the very end of part one of this conversation, Amran left us with a couple of thoughts on overproduction, which is in a way a good transition to calls for shopping less because Suzanne, Jay, and Amran, you have each in your own way, I think, like made a call or advocated for less inventory, for producing less, for, you know, producing maybe better quality and uh, fewer number of pieces, which might be surprising to people who are listening in, because I think people assume that a supplier wants to produce as many pieces as they possibly can and to sell as many pieces as they possibly can. And I know, Kate, when we were talking a little bit before this conversation, you said that one of the things, you know, you talk about a lot is waste and the disposability of fashion and overconsumption. And that a lot of the comments you get from your communicate from your community also advocate for shopping less. So we see this kind of like alignment between what your community is advocating and what Jay and Suzanne and Amrin are, are, are advocating. 
Um, and yet it's on its surface seems like, I mean, that's surprising, right? It seems sort of contradictory. Um, I'm curious, Amrin Jay and Suzanne, like what you, you know, how you might demystify this or, or explain this. Amrin, I, I start with you. Um, we've seen basically a shortage in uh, raw materials in the last 20 years. Um, what ends up happening is if we go back 20 years, um, the amount of cotton that actually was grown in the environment or in the world is, hasn't changed. It's the same amount. It's 105 million bales in 2000, and there's 105 million bales today, 115 million bales, uh, let's say in 2020, 2021. So we've increased by only 10%. On the polyester side, we've increased 20-fold, you know, um, unfortunately. Obviously, because there is a world population doubling and there are products which are being sold. Um, so we've had to change the outlook of how we can make a product as sustainable as we can with the driving factor of, you know, rising cotton prices as well due to the demand that's coming there. So obviously, one of the nice things, obviously, with denim that we obviously other products won't have a chance as much. And actually, it actually dates back to the history of denim as well, which is another topic. But um, the idea is basically recycling. You know, it's, it's, we can recycle so much in denim, it's unbelievable. We can go back to, because we do coarse counts, we can take recycling from uh, apparel that shirts we can wear, basically, even up to denim itself. You know, so there's a lot. And because this, it is indigo dyed in a certain way, it's very easy to hide all the mismatch in the product that's there. You know, so obviously, that's, that's been a big, big um, turnaround on, on the product and what we're able to do. Of course, one of the challenges there is microfiber, which every facility will face. But luckily, because denim, denim is a little bit more coarse, we can get away with that. So nearly 30 to 40% of our mill today is using recycling fibers to reduce our cost as such. It is a bit tricky, obviously, in the product itself, creating the product itself. But by using that, we're able to obviously not worry too much about the raw material that's coming from the US, Brazil, Africa, which takes today takes three months to arrive because of shipping issues. Um, uh, only takes one month. We're able to recycle that using the product back and create something that's actually better for the environment. Um, and Thailand actually is one of the biggest centers for secondhand product as well. Um, uh, there's markets here we which we delve in and actually buy the product and then bring it in and uh, actually just actually use people to actually cut off half of the product and reuse it within the mill itself. Well, so I think... Well, that's what I was going to ask because what I understand is that like... Uh, recycling i mean so you're recycling post-consumer waste i mean a finished correct. pair of pants is that correct. right correct because what i've understood is that is that that isn't you know although it's technically becoming more and more possible that a the quality isn't as good and b that it's an extremely labor-intensive pro process and therefore quite expensive um is that so how do you deal with that <laughs> so so this so it is it is a bit more expensive than than cotton today which you buy but then obviously people uh, brands are willing to understand that recycling is does have obviously a certain cost to it um unfortunately today if let's say we buy a pant of a product recyclability of that product is still around 20 to 30 percent only um in denim's actually higher but in other products it might be a bit less so we cut around to make it a bit easy let's say you you take a pair of jeans you don't you don't we don't actually cut near the seam. We cut off the seam and actually use the, the front panel, the back panel, you know, use the easy parts, which can then kind of go in uh, 
into the production a bit easier, obviously, because Thailand is still expensive in labor um, compared to other places around Asia. So we use that as a concept to be able to recycle. Um, brands are willing to pay that extra cost today um, simply because it is a, it, they are doing a responsible thing at, at the end as well uh, to, to the thing. And actually, the cost difference is very minute now just simply because of the way the way the driving force of raw material has gone up. And it is will continue to go up, unfortunately, just simply because, I mean, inflation is, is happening around the world today because of the money printing as well. So are you doing then, like, are you working with spinning facilities or, or are you doing the spinning yourselves? Or, and is the recycling process that you're doing mechanical or, or chemical? Or? Uh, so we have both. There is a mechanical component to it and there's also a chemical component to it. Obviously, there are particular products we have to worry about simply because it can, um, we do have people working at the machine 24 hours simply because there is a possibility that fire can be caught um, at the machine itself because it is it does temperature does go up pretty high pretty quickly so we only run the machines 12 hours a day simply because we don't want anything happening at night when we're not around um, mm. and of course to of course cool the period down as well on, on the machine itself but the idea is um the idea of course is to recycle as much as we can and then use that proportion with virgin cotton again as a product so that we can still meet the standards which the brands require so to go back to the original question about like calls to to produce and to shop less, um, I mean, like, would it be correct to in, to sort of extract from what you're saying that basically for for your, from the perspective of Atlantic uh, denim mills that you know you would rather be producing fewer products made out of a more constrained resource. Um, at a higher price point. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Suzanne. I think for, for what um, kind of building off of what was said, you know, for us, it's uh, really about circularity because we control our supply chain. It's, and, and we're different from apparel. We, we do recycle our metals and, and metal precious metals, especially, you know, they, they don't go to waste. They continue to be reused and recycled. And so, um, we have been able to recycle a lot of our dead stock through the pandemic, and we've been carrying inventory and dead stock for 20, 30 years. And we've really put that into place, you know, when the pandemic hit, the price of silver went up really high. And so we were able to take that dead stock and then, you know, put it back um, and, and cash it out and put it back into production. So that's kind of like our model too. And we don't have the numbers on it, but we, we think that's really kind of the next step for us as a retail brand is like the post-consumer use because our products, you know, we have a 40 year history of selling, um, jewelry and a lot of it ends up on like eBay or Etsy or other stores. And we're not, we're not engaging with that. Like we don't engage with sort of like our vintage collections and whatever. And so for us, we feel like that's probably the next step for us is like, how do we continue, you know, uh, whether it's, we let the, you know, customers recycle back products and we'll, we'll recycle it. And then they get credits for like new to shop for new things, but at least within our kind of, um, you know, environment, we're able to say, you know, when you, when you purchase and when you come, you know, shop with us, it's really like this closed loop. It's not, the stuff isn't going to end up in landfill. Um, 
And I think that's, you know, if you look at it from a manufacturer's point of view, it's like that's the control that you can have because you're the one who's, you know, making all the decisions. And I think that's really hard. It's it's like you have to find the points of control because otherwise you're, you know, on the back end, you're really at a disadvantage. Um, and so I think that's something that we're going to keep innovating and, and working into more. Um, I think a lot of times at least one of the things that I hear and Kate, I'll be curious if this has been your experience as well, but like a lot of brands who talk about circularity get a lot of, I guess, criticism because it seems it's like, I think it's often perceived as circularity is perceived as, or recycling is perceived as basically a way of avoiding the elephant in the room. Like if we were just able to turn all of this waste into feed for new products, then we wouldn't have to deal with the fact that we're producing too much. And what I hear from the three of you from Jay and and Emron and Suzanne is that like, actually, you know, that moving to a more circular model requires investments, you know, in technology, in in new machinery, it requires more work, more effort, and it requires, uh, therefore, also a higher price. And that therefore, you know, that that's sort of how you see the link between or how you're making the link between circularity and uh, like, reduced production. Um, which I think is worth just highlighting because I think that's sort of contrary to the way that uh, like the, the reputation that circularity maybe has, I don't know, Kate, what, what do you think? The thing is that it's like, there are all these different definitions that kind of, uh, drain yeah. the word and all its meaning. Um, and, but I also do think that it's like when, Brands like H&M or Zara talk about circularity. They do use it as a way to be like, oh, well, we don't have to stop this because we can now recycle everything. It's more of a gimmick that they have um, from a PR standpoint. And so I think that circularity as a model makes a lot of sense in like small to medium sized brands because it's like you can actually think about it. And, and it's not a PR statement. It's something that like you actually consider And this segues very nicely into, I think, another big question, which is there are a lot of educational campaigns, and Kate, you've just described a little bit about how you engage with this yourself, but that's very focused on calling out brands. Now, on the one hand, calling out brands could lead to more scrutiny, could lead to, you know, better supply chain relationships and ultimately also higher prices for suppliers. On the other hand, You know, the flip side of what we're talking about is that ultimately suppliers want their their customers, the brands that they produce for, to do well and to sell the products that they invest a lot of resources making for those brands. I'm curious to hear from Suzanne and from Anman and Jay whether and if they have how public calls for accountability um, and pushes, you know, to, to sort of like what Kate is talking about to sort of call out brands for various things have impacted your, your business and what your take is, is on that. I think, I think we have to be a bit careful about this, this whole thing, because we, it's very hard for, I think, suppliers to go out and call out things to brands simply because I, I know personally certain people who've been actually hurt by this uh, specifically. And I, I keep talking to these people and tell them, you know, 
you know, you really, really should talk about it, you know, because it's hurting your business. And they're like, no, I want to change the world. I want to do it. I have to do it. And that's my first priority, you know? So, so what we do, I let's, let's put it that way. Let's, from what I, from my take on, on both sides, what I think we have, we have to do is, you know, we have to identify and, uh, you know, the brands and, you know, what we can do is we can put them in, we try to put them in the right direction with transparency tools, what we have, because we have all the suppliers of, of uh, chemicals, suppliers of raw materials. We have, I've actually personally flown to see farms in Turkey, in Brazil, in the U.S., which I work with today to really, really understand where, where the farmers and what they're doing and what they're capable of doing. Organic farms in Turkey included, because obviously that's a different topic mm-hmm. altogether, you know. So, you know, with, with that experience, you know, we, we try to take all the information and try to give them the information. And, you know, and, and obviously by constantly meeting with suppliers, telling them the needs that we have and what we feel the brands want to have. We use this as an idea, you know, and kind of give a forward thinking idea uh, for them on what they have to do for the next five years. You know, so, so I think, um, especially in this pandemic, uh, more so than ever, people have, people want to be able to talk more with each other. Obviously, you cannot show product to people so much more. Brands want to have trustability with, their, with the factories they work with. And we can see it full-fledged now more than ever that brands will want to work with people, uh, uh, will want to work with mills or, you know, garment factories, which they're comfortable with, people who they can trust. Um, and obviously, with that added amount where, you know, there's, 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 there's obviously initiatives, incentives to provide them that make, you know, the collaboration effort of the product a bit better. So there's a lot of tools we use, obviously, a lot of software tools we use even with the brands where we nominate a few, they nominate a few and we try it out, you know, and that, then I think that's, that's kind of the best way forward. Um, I think going out and calling out brands is probably the wrong way to do it. Uh, just simply because they need, they need our help as much as we need their help. You know, it's, 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 you know, I mean, there can be, everybody can kind of say, okay, everybody's doing wrong, but what is right? You know, somebody has to go out and tell these brands what is right or at least what you think is right, you know? And I think, I think, I think that's, that's the main thing on how we can uh, kind of change the way and influence them, you know, to move them towards the right direction uh, together. So, so Amran, then what do you think like for consumers who are out there, who are interested in advocating for change and want to see these, this industry better, what would you like to see them? How would you like to see them doing that then? What's the alternative? Uh, it's hard from the consumer angle to really, to tell you, frankly. I mean, there, there are, I think in one aspect, there's for brands to really, really get involved with factories, with product, making a video, you know, kind of have that sensibility of how that product is made from and how long that it takes that product. You know, people forget how long it takes to make just a piece of clothing. You know, um, people forget there's cotton you have to grow. There's obviously rainwater or water, whichever way you're going to use, you know, because that's also misinterpreted. Um, how long it takes to grow, how long it takes to farm, how long it takes to move that particular raw material to the factories, you know, and then obviously produce the goods and then send to the garment factory, produce those goods, send to a laundry, produce those goods. You know, people don't know it takes almost a year to actually um, to do these things. So if I think if, if the consumer is aware that it takes this long for a product to grow or, or to be made, let's say, sorry, um, to be made, I think they will automatically understand, look, you know, it's, it's, it's the product itself. 
is not something I'm just wearing and throwing away. You know, I think especially the new millennials, mm. the new generations, I think, I think really touching upon the fact that it takes that long. It takes, let's say, 300 different hands of people, you know, from, from the farmer to the ginner, you know, onwards to really, really get to where they are. I think that's how we have to really, we can touch the consumer. I feel that's the only way we really can touch the consumer without them actually having to go too deep into the details. Yeah. It's almost like sort of reframing or recasting the way we think about value. Um, Suzanne and Jay, is there anything that you want to add to this before I let Kate <laughs> respond? Um, I, I can just continue um, the thought that Amron had, which was, uh, you know, when you do educate the customer through whatever form um, or you put in uh, legislation at, you know, the country level um, or you have foundations, um, you know, educate the customer um, on the consumer. Um, when when they do realize um, or appreciate that that's how long it takes and that's how many hands were involved in, in, in getting it to the shelf, um, I think that if that can then translate to um, overall appreciating that things do cost more and then, you know, sort of backing that up with action, um, you know, through your wallet, right? I mean, because that's where, uh, that's what it comes down to. Uh, and that's going to require the shift. Um, if you only have, you know, a certain type of consumer customer doing it, then you're going to have brands competing uh, with each other, you know, for the wallet of that consumer. But I think the, the overall mindset shift needs to come in uh, to appreciate that's how long it took to make it. Uh, and then you have a general increase in prices uh, for goods. Um, I, I think that'll sort of close the loop or complete that, uh, uh, that. That'll put something like this into effect. What do you think then about like the role of, con- I, I, we're talking about consumers, but really we're also talking about citizens. I mean, the other angle of this is is also advocating for legislative change and you know at a at a political level Suzanne I let you yeah so we're part of the American Sustainable Business Council and that's a lot of what they do is like the sort of legal and sort of um, within the U.S. like how states sort of define what should be done or not done and for us, we're just getting started, but I think it's, you know, uh, we can talk a lot about sustainability and what we do, but like we have to be very aware of the context of everything. And so within the US, it like depends on the state or, and it depends on sort of like what consumers in, in the area that you are or where you have your business established really want or need. And so I think you have to balance all parts of it, or at least you have to be aware of it. Too. I mean, we work with um, retailers in the UK or in Australia. And so we also have to be aware of like what sort of what it, for us, it's about like mines or conflict materials or things like that. Like we have to be educated on what those consumers are looking for. And but I, I really agree with what Amrin said, too, is like you can't really call anyone out, unfortunately, because you don't really have anyone behind you to back you up. You're like kind of isolated. And and I think until things change or the, you know, sense of equity changes, like, I think you just have to do it because you know it's the right thing to do. 
But I think that's also our goal. Or that's our responsibility as, you know, leaders of our, you know, manufacturing companies is like, we have to be thinking forward. Like we have to think like 10, 20 years out. For, uh, for us, I think it's like going into parts of the business that maybe you're not comfortable in or you're not an expert in, but you have to sort of invest and learn how to make it work. That That's what it's been for us. Kate, I let you have the last word. <laughs> Uh, so I think in terms of advocacy, it's really weird because it's like there are, are stuff in states that people support. Like there is the Garment Worker Act in California that's um, trying to deal with like uh, pay per piece. And then there is so it's like part of what I do is like encourage like like um, like people to write letters to brands for like the Bangladesh Accord and things like that. And there's i think a lot of sense because even slower than uh like the year that it takes clothes to be made like advocacy is an even slower process and i think that especially for consumers it's really hard because we're used to having like all these things come super fast because it's like even though clothes take a year to grow like you get them and then you can buy a ton of stuff and so i think from an advocacy perspective it's probably even harder to educate the consumer but then it's like once you get that then the consumer kind of expects all these things and then when there are nuances to things and that's also hard to get to or and hard to explain i think like calling out brands because brands have to respond to everything so fast it's like maybe they don't change but for in, in a consumer perspective it's like you get a response from the brand right away like the for a long time it's like a brand would res, uh right there was a boycott and it's like a brand would respond to you on instagram and say like oh i'm doing or we are doing x y and z and taking your uh comments into like consideration and that has i think that's a more immediate feedback i don't know if i if i just before we close if i recap it's like on the one hand what i hear is like you know especially from you emron but i think echoed also by jay and suzanne is like if we could just change the way that we value what we make um and uh you know teach people about all of the work and effort and people and resources that go into that um, and then on the other hand, Kate, what you're saying is like your challenge too is people are used to this immediate sort of gratification response feedback. And so that's like, there's maybe, there's maybe a sort of like shift sort of on, in two sort of parallel strands. On that note, I'm going to close the conversation. Jay, Amrin, Suzanne, Kate, thank you so much for being with me today and for being willing to participate in this experiment. Thank you for listening to Manufactured. Support the show by following me on Instagram at manufactured underscore podcast or sign up for the bi-weekly newsletter at www.manufacturedpodcast.com for an overview of the latest episodes, articles I've recently published, and links to off-the-beaten-path reading. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can make a Patreon donation at www.manufacturedpodcast.com. 
Last but not least, don't forget to leave a review on iTunes and hit subscribe. This helps other people find the show, and I'd really love your help with that.